Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show, where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Ethan Cassiotis. I'm a serial entrepreneur, international speaker, results strategist, business coach, mentor, and consultant. Today, I have an awesome guest. He is a financier, serial entrepreneur, author, and 22 times Ironman triathlete. He is the CEO, chairman, and founder of events.com, an innovative cloud-based event management platform provider that provides a state-of-the-art mobile-first SaaS application that enables the full event lifecycle, connecting event organizers and event goers. Events.com enables event organizers to plan, promote, and ticket their events, while also providing event goers the tools to discover, register, collaborate, share, and celebrate their experiences. He previously co-founded Active.com, the Active Network, and launched ActiveEurope.com, Active Europe Network, as co-founder and CEO, which went public before selling to Vista for $1.05 billion. He is also the chairman of La Hoya Foundation. Welcome, Mitch Thrower, and thank you for being on my show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome, mate. It's so awesome for you to be here, and I'm sure it's going to be an amazing episode for everyone watching and listening today. So you're a very successful entrepreneur. So for those people who don't know who you are, just please introduce yourself by telling us about you and your journey. So I'm the CEO and co-founder of events.com currently. And I can tell you more about that as the discussion goes on. But um, prior to this, as you mentioned, I co-founded another technology company that went public and then sold. Uh, Also was involved in a company called Competitor Group, where we had been involved with a leveraged buyout of Triathlete Magazine, which was a great lesson in getting involved in a sport that you're passionate about and then getting on the business side of what you're passionate about and how that psychological journey goes. But we, we ended up doing a leveraged buyout of Triathlete Magazine worldwide, which we then subsequently sold to another group, expanded, and then bought a bunch of rock and roll marathons, created marathons, turned them into rock and roll marathons. Then that entity also sold to a group called Calera Capital. So lots of things in the business cycle, lots of things with entrepreneurship, had another venture before that which was doing train travel or your rail pass or interrail pass, depending on what part of the world you're from, all of the ordering systems and migrating those online and then selling those uh, digitally and also to students primarily. But, you know, a lot of lessons. I mean, I was a philosophy major, so kind of trial by fire, if you will. Yeah, I love it. So many amazing things you've done in your life. And I'm sure there's many more to come as well um, with events.com and then what happens in the future as well, Mitch. So amazing things there. So firstly, let's start with um, one of the big feats. You're a 22 times Ironman triathlete. Like that's massive, right? Once, let alone 22 times. So, um, you know, and I know that you live by the dual philosophies that entrepreneurship is an endurance sport. And the fountain of youth is movement, which I love. So from all of your Ironman triathlon experiences, what can you share with us about our health, our energy, and our mindset as well? You know, I've I've learned a lot in the sport of triathlon that has most certainly applied to business. And most recently with the pandemic, that whole concept of just keep going. And, you know, when you're in the end of an Ironman triathlon and you're in the last part of the marathon run and you're trying to get to... Alihi Drive, which is where the Hawaiian 
Ironman World Championships ends, which is an amazing slice of payment. And I would encourage anyone who's listening, who's not experienced either watching or participating in that specific moment or getting to that moment to go and watch when they have it, because it, it's life changing just to be a witness to what's happening down there. But you, you go through these moments where you want to stop. Everything's telling you to stop. Your body is telling you to stop. Sometimes you're promising your body things that, you know, if you just do this, I'll just, you know, I'll never do this again. Right. So I can't tell you how many finishing moments in Ironmans where I'm like, oh, I don't ever want to do this again. And just let's get to the finish line. Come on, let's go. And then by the time you finish, when you actually go through the finish line, you're already trying to figure out how you can do it again. It's the most bizarre psychological trick that the sport plays on you. But inevitably, you learn certain core features. One is transitions. And certainly one that was really relevant for people during the pandemic, which is a lot of people were in a business and then suddenly the pandemic happened and their businesses were illegal, right? Which is in our case, right? Going to events became illegal during the pandemic or other travel or entertainment. So how do you, in this world of business, they call it a pivot, iteration, but in travel they call it a transition, which is you need to change fast. Races are won or lost depending on how fast you can change and how fast you can change what you're doing, how you're moving and how you're moving forward. And, but you're still going forward. And that's the most important thing. So you know, really transitions, determination, dedication, stick-to-itiveness, um, and, and just the concept of just keep going. I'll never forget Ironman Canada years ago. I saw a very dear friend of mine who was struggling. He was on his way out. I was on my way back in. And I said, Matt, whatever happens, just keep going. And, you know, to this day, he'll still tell me, you know, how much that meant and how it changed his psychology, because you will get to the finish line if you just keep going, no matter how many things get thrown at you, not just in business, not just in sport, but in life, because life is a challenging journey. Yeah, love that. So many amazing things and so applicable to every areas of life and business, really powerful there. So Let's get stuck into events now. So firstly, you know, I've obviously done a, a bit of a quick intro about what events.com is, but do you want to maybe tell us more about, you know, how events.com is different, I guess, to other event companies and, you know, how it helps us all to either manage events better if we're on the management side of the events or if we're on the experience side on the client, you know, to experience events better as well. Yeah, look at, take a look at the event world, right? And going into the pandemic, the, the economy was really shifting from things that you buy to things that you do. The relevancy of you know, collecting things to put on the shelf had kind of lost its luster as we were you know, really in a world which was very material, a world of Amazon or a world of immediate deliveries and possessions. And the, you know, the most foundational or most uh, fundamental part of human existence is human connection. We are, we are really bound by human connection and gathering experiences as it was on its way up immediately got hit with the pandemic, which obviously, you know, I can talk more about kind of how we navigated through that and came out on the other end. But in the events world, our primary manifest is to serve as kind of the Airbnb and the Shopify of the event world, meaning while, you know, many companies out there sell tickets or registrations, there's other businesses that build apps for events let's just say you have a festival, you're using up to 15 different technologies to manage that festival. You've got one for marketing. Maybe there's someone in the corner selling sponsorships on a spreadsheet. You've got another person building you an app for check-in. 
then you have your ticketing company, then you have your CRM. What we're doing is we're bringing all of those pieces together to make the event organizer's life much easier. Of course, it's available a la carte, and we have plenty of our competitors that are using some of our services, or that are plenty of companies that are using our competitors for one thing and us for a different thing, so a la carte is fine. But that's on the enterprise side. And, and finishing out the events.com story, you know, just like Airbnb, over here, you can manage your apartment online and use the enterprise software to do that. Just like events, you can manage your event online more than just a reservation or a ticket, but the marketing, the analytics, all of the ancillary products, merchandise platform built in, all of those things that you would have had to outsource to multiple parties. That's part one. Part two is really something that I think we've all been waiting for and people have tried it and it's very frustrating. And that is at any given time, it's very, very hard to find out what's happening around you and certainly difficult to find what's happening around you customized to you. You know, the way Netflix will customize what you're watching or the way you'll log into a, a Google resolved search and now you're getting customization for what you're looking for. So, you know, an algorithmic process to open events.com and go to the discover portion of events.com and try and find and interact and transact with the events you love. So there's our two-sided marketplace with events.com. And we're really excited to come out of the pandemic because we did some acquisitions during the pandemic, which we haven't really announced yet. But, you know, it's, it's uh, what happens when your revenues descend rapidly towards the floor the best time to go shopping, the best time to lean in and to actually play offense. Because I had a mentor that told me once, you have to keep your head when other people don't. And that's what we've done. And you know, lots of lessons from 01, 05, 08 that we could apply here with events.com to you know, kind of be the Carpathia to many people in the industry as they were slammed so hard. Yeah. Love that. So many amazing things about what you guys bring. And I'm looking forward to doing my own events on the platform soon enough once uh, Australia starts opening much more and, and around the world. It's going to be really cool um, as well. Um, so I guess, you know, business has been severely impacted, right, uh, by COVID in the last 18 months. And, you know, it's still going to be impacted to some extent with the events industry obviously being one of the hardest hit alongside travel, right? So um, with how have you as well as, I guess, your clients that have had events, you know, you talked about pivoting, right, before, or, you know, the, the Iron Man version of it, right, is how have you had to pivot? And you mentioned about some acquisitions and things um, there, but I guess in other ways to continue to grow and, and the people that have had events that are part of your platform in these unprecedented times. So for us, obviously, the, the most natural course was to shift some of the development resources into virtual events and allowing people to produce virtual events, to engage your customers, uh, to shift your real world event to a virtual event during the pandemic. And now as we're emerging on the other side with pre-event entry testing, with the capacity to verify your vaccine, and even some of the new technologies that we're seeing. So you know, it's kind of like there's a, a transition in your life, in your career or in your business or in the business model. And we just had to kind of, you know, get a whiteboard out and say, here are the things that we think we need to do. And the first is, of course, let's play offense and let's go do some acquisitions because we can probably do them at preferred pricing. 
The second is obviously you always want to make sure that your team is intact and secure. And so we did a really great focus with the team and we, we didn't lay anyone off during the pandemic, which is very much on, very unlike our competitors who, you know, would whack half the force. We actually kept everybody. We did aggressive furloughs temporarily through the program, but we kept everyone. And primarily because we wanted everyone to have health insurance, which is a very big deal here. Uh, the, the way the US healthcare is run to send people out into a pandemic without health insurance, we just didn't feel was a good, a good thing to do to the people who've given their lives to really help us build events.com. So, you know, that's, that's a part of it, but really that pivot, that moment, that opportunity to take a step back is also a rare blessing because if you're flying a 747 and you need to build better engines or you need to fix something or add new features, it's hard to do it when you're in mid-flight. So that moment of pause, especially in technology, allowed us to really take a look back and say, okay, now that we have some breathing room, what do we really want to do as we're building out some of the things we're going to build out and continue to build out? Yeah, I love that. Really powerful. Um, and a point you mentioned before was about, you know, we all crave connection, right, as humans. Um, and, you know, I know smaller in-person events have started in, in certain parts of the world, like in the US. You know, while in Australia right now, we're still locked down in certain states, so it still is a little bit disparative around the world. So um, I want to hear from you because you're, you're obviously, you got your finger more on the pulse, so to speak, in the events world than most people. So when do you see larger in-person events starting again around the world and how that's sort of looking? You know, it's, it's highly regional and it's also uh, political, regional, and there are protocols that are in place in different places, you know, around even in the U.S., which is in many ways multiple countries, though it's uh, just multiple psychologies, I guess you'd say. There are parts of the U.S. that didn't really experience the same lockdowns and shutdowns that other parts did, you know, California versus Texas or California versus Florida. Globally, because of the speed of vaccination and because of the way COVID is, you know, really emerging now with a lot of the world getting vaccinated, a significant other portion of the world getting vaccinated through infection because of the speed of Delta, we see large events really returning between June of 22 and June of 23. That's going to be one of at least in our indication so far, one of the best times to be alive. And, you know, Australia is such a fun celebratory culture that, you know, celebrates people and interaction and connection. Um, you know, if you were going to keep people apart in the world, probably one of the most difficult places to keep people apart would be Australia because it's just such a human connection location. And, you know, I, I will say that, you know, there's a book by... Uh, a Yale professor called Apollo's Arrow, where he studies all of the pandemics in history. He goes way back into prior pandemics and he looks at what happens in the periods after pandemics, not just the last one, which is the roaring 20s, if you will, but all of the pandemics in human history. And what they found is when people have a restricted access to each other, which is the fundamental human need, combined with for many people the first time in their life when they faced their own mortality, and then sadly, a transfer of wealth from those who've passed away. You have this unbelievable cycle of celebration that follows once people can get back together and enjoy the experiences that they had before. So we, we see things emerging regionally, um, micro-wise. Micro you know, every state in the country has emerged. We knew Boston would come out quick because they love vaccines. Boston and or, you know, all of Massachusetts is 
very, very high vaccination rate. Um, so for us, we knew that that would be a pretty good accelerant. But yeah, that's that's what we see. We watch it all the time. And, and, and events are really entrepreneurship in a box. So as a part of the economic recovery, we expect and are seeing people who were never event organizers, who maybe went through the great uh, resignation. I'm not sure if you heard about the great resignation, right? Where everyone just said, I'm not happy with what I'm doing. I want to go do something else. And there's an enormous amount of jobs available, but people want to do something else. So in this, in this world where someone's, you know, how can you take entrepreneurship and then put it in a box, have an idea, create an event, you know, go through the normal processes, build a website, get a partner from a technology perspective, events.com or another, market the event, sell sponsorships, sell tickets, and there's your revenue stream, which, by the way, often pays you in advance of actually having the event if you're partnered with the right party. So it, it really is, we expect to be a pretty significant part of the economic recovery as more and more events happen and more and more people get together. Yeah, love that. Really awesome points there. And um, I love how you, you know, stated how, you know, to think about it, how we can put events into our businesses and things like that. Really cool. So I'm really looking forward to the June 22 and beyond uh, to enjoy that. I'm, I'm sure as everybody is around the globe. So um, I guess, you know, we've, you talked about, you know, pivoting to virtual, right, um, before where we had to do during the pandemic and now we're going out. Um, I want to hear as well, what do you think the future of events are going? Because I hear some people saying, you know, everyone's going to just really go to, you know, in-person big events again. Is virtual still going to be there? Is there a hybrid? I'd love to hear sort of what you're thinking about where the future of them go as well. You know, I think you've really, you've got a ton of virtual events that will be around forever now. It's just people are so used to Zooming, even though it's uncomfortable because you're on camera all day long with people and you know people get Zoom fatigue or Google Meet fatigue, whatever it might be. People will continue to, especially in corporate settings, have a, a very large swath of kind of the virtual experiences. As we get back on the horse of getting together in person, which has already started in large and in mass here in the US and other parts of the world, there's going to certainly be different dimensions of pre-event testing, vaccines, verifications. Um, and that's not just for COVID, that's for any other pathogen that may emerge in a very bizarre way, although we'd never wanna wish this upon the world ever again. This was a great wake up call for us to see how we were living and what we could do to prevent something like this in the future. And the advances that have happened in science have been so incredible. Where you can you know, be on your phone and you can, so that you can attend the festival in the real world or you can attend the, you can attend the festival on your phone. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, it's uh, it's going to be really cool, I think, to um, to see, like you said, um, whether you're there in person, whether you're not, and and how technology is going to help us. So, really cool to to get your thoughts on that. Now, you you have some high profile investors, advisors, and, and people backing events.com. So, you know, if we're looking at from our own perspective as the entrepreneur, right? If if we're looking at wanting to get investors for our company, what should we think about to ensure we make the right decisions on the types of investors and advisors that we bring on board? So 
let's put the investors in buckets. There's you know angel investors and friends and family. That's kind of bucket one. The next bucket would be venture capital and or private equity. And then just beyond that bucket, you have kind of growth equity. And then you also have, you know, a public offering or large capital that comes in because you've gained a certain amount of traction. The first thing to do is to look in the mirror and say, well, where is your business now? Um, I personally prefer to move businesses into the world by using private capital, um, either friends and family, angel investors, high net worths, strategic investors. I think strategic investors are really where you get the biggest bang for the buck, so to speak, because they bring their capital and they bring their network and they bring the strategic resources that they can bring to bear to help you become more successful. Um, I would encourage anyone out there who is trying to raise capital for their business to do three things. First, stop asking for money. Ask for help. Because when you approach an investor or you're approaching someone who is you know, there, it's very different if you'd say, hey, um, may I, will you invest in my company versus uh, sit alongside me here for a second. Let's look at this. This is what I'm thinking about doing. You know, some things are right. So what are your thoughts on this? Because when you ask for help rather than money, it's very disarming and it helps you understand more. The second thing to do when raising cash is you want to get a no journal because no is worthless to you unless you say no, why, or no, when. Meaning if I was to say invest in events.com when someone said no, I would ask them why. In the post-mortem interview, you want to find out why someone said no and then also when they would invest so that you can then keep a journal. You know, hey, I'm not investing in events.com until you get to 100 million in revenue. Okay, we call them in X months when it's at 100 million in revenue. You know, you have to understand that critical feedback is something you need to seek out aggressively when raising money for a venture. The other thing is to keep a question journal, meaning people are gonna ask you questions. And those same questions are going to come back. And maybe the first time you're going to be maybe knocked off kilter, like, well, how much money's in the bank? Uh, well, how much money did you put in? Uh, well, what are your financials? Well, they're about, about, you don't know. You know, you have to remember that the questions you'll be asked are going to be asked again and again and again through the process. So use the nose and the questions to lever yourself up in terms of your expertise. And at one point we used to go out and put a PowerPoint deck together and we would have an appendix slide that would address every question we were asked. So that, you know, and it would be so impressive, right? When they'd ask a question that they thought was so hard. We're like, actually, pop, slide up, there's the answer. Oh, actually, well, what about this? Oh, actually, boom, pop, slide up, there's the answer. I mean, it really becomes a, a machine, but you have to realize that it doesn't go well in the beginning and that your formula is going to be how many people are in your leads for you to close an investor over time. So remember, every no is leverage if you ask why and when, 
keep a question journal and then put together slides which explain it explicitly so you can be armed in the next meeting. And finally, I know I'm talking a lot here, I'd love to get more questions, but finally, really important that you are completely aligned with whoever else is in the room pitching with you and that they do not talk over you or answer a question after you, unless it was a complete mess up. Because if you're in a room or if someone's pitching me as two founders and I ask a question and I hear a very wise response from one founder, and then the other founder comes in to talk over or on top of that founder when the question's already been addressed or that maybe manager or CFO, I realize that there's a weird dynamic. And then also, if I ask a question to one person and that person answers something which is you know, very specific this way, and then the other person answers something differently, then I start to see a, a malalignment or a non-aligned group of a management team. And that's a bad fracture because teamwork and working together is really important. You want to be in the room when you're starting a company with someone who's standing behind you that can say, I'm dealing with a whole bunch of problems, but I got this, right? So you want people to have your back and you don't want to have to turn around and, and you know, try and make sure you guys are you know, going in the same direction all the time. So go in aligned to those investor meetings and, and, and get as many as you can. It's going to take at least 10 no's to get to one yes. Um, you know, and maybe one final, final point, just because this is so important. You're not asking for money. Change your philosophy. You are offering people an opportunity for you to work your butt off to make them money. So if you look at it through that lens, you have a very different reaction internally to yourself when you're out there saying, hey, I need to raise money for my business. You are selling a piece of what you're creating to help other people generate a return and to help them make money. So keep that philosophy going in and then you, you know, can have a different you know, perspective of, hey, you know, would you like to invest in this? Because I would welcome you in as an investor. If not, I'm moving on and I'm going to get another investor and we're going to make them a whole lot of money. So anyway, I, I, I tended to go long on that one because it's a really important one. Yeah, no, that was amazing, Mitch. Thank you. And you've got so much experience by taking a, you know, a company, selling it for over a billion dollars, right? So, so much gold um, of what you just said there. So thank you for that. And, you know, you touched on, you know, team. And I think um, there's a couple of things here. And I, I want to talk about maybe leadership, right? Where, you know, it's extremely important to have a successful company, you know, from the top, right? Leadership. And you're right at the top of events.com, you know, as the CEO, chairman and founder. So, you know, what key leadership tips, I guess, can you give to us to help us, um, you know, create a company that, that really, you know, continues to grow and have awesome people working for us that love it? You know, out of the gate, you've, everybody's heard, hire slow, fire fast, um, try and add a trial period when you're hiring people so that there's no expectation of a permanent position, but that you have to get to know them really well. Um, do extensive background checks beyond the normal background checks so that you can find out about people, call people that aren't on their references list to learn about candidates. Um, I would also say that as an entrepreneur, build an organization where your team members don't bring you problems unless they bring you three solutions along with the problem. And the reason there needs to be three is anybody can come up with a solution. 
to a problem, but they're going to be whacking a mole. I don't know if you know this game, whack the mole, where you're like, the moles are all popping up at the amusement park, maybe called something different in Australia, but all these things pop up and you have to hit them all and get them all back down the thing. It's called whack the mole here. That is a, you know, hey, a problem, whack the mole. Well, they're going to try and hit it to get rid of it as quick as possible. If you ask the team members to bring you three solutions, now they have to think as opposed to just extinguish right? Because what is the best solution for the company's long-term revenues, short-term revenues to solve a personnel issue, to, you know, fix a problem, et cetera. Uh, and the first thing is no going in that it's going to suck at times. Uh, my wife, love of my life, actually shared with me once that entrepreneurship is kind of like buying a box of Band-Aids because, you know, you're going to cut your body you know, there's going to be pain. You know, you're going to have to, you know, you know, you're going to get wounded. And when you buy a box of Band-Aids, it's kind of like starting a company. You don't know when the Band-Aids going to be needed. You don't know where the wounds are going to come, but it's going to happen. And so you have to go into it with that psychology. Um, and of course, have your own box of Band-Aids, which is, you know, learn to love criticism, learn not to take things personally. Don't get yourself emotionally involved in what your ideas are other than being able to step away from them and be critical of them. Um, so that, that's just, that's a part of the process is, you know, buy that box of band-aids and know you're going to get, going to get hit. Yeah. I love that. Awesome points there. Thank you, Mitch. And um, now let's talk about you exited active, right? Which went public before selling to Vista for over a billion dollars. Now, um, you know, exiting a business is important. Uh, you know, some people obviously want to keep the business forever, potentially if they love it and, and everything like that, but we should always build to sell uh, for just in terms of systems and, and everything else. So we, we have a great business. What do you think was key? Because obviously whether someone's at an early stage and wanting to sell or whether they're going all the way up to a billion, because that's massive. A lot of people won't necessarily get to that point, but they will want to exit. What do you think was key um, to having a successful exit? You know, for me, I always like to, and this is kind of a theme, maybe came from athletics, is start at the finish line. And as a entrepreneur, you need to be very well versed in something called a due diligence checklist, which is what when someone's going to acquire your company or you're going to go public, they're going to want to go through. And it's, it's interesting, if you start as an entrepreneur and you're going to build, you know, a software company, then you should download a diligence, due diligence checklist from a prior software company that sold. And you should learn all of the things that it's, it's like, um, it's like going to school, but the answer key is there waiting for you of what you need to build and what documents you need to create and how you need to structure the business to have a maximum, maximum exit. Um, so I'd encourage folks that are you know, considering exiting their business to understand the due diligence checklist and be prepared at any stage of your business to have a wrapped up bow around your information. And that's as simple as, you know, employee files up to date. It's as simple as making sure to organize all of the intellectual property information and to stay up to date. It's, it's as easy as making sure your good standing certificates are still in force, wherever you may be doing business, your licenses, et cetera. You know, have a checklist going in and remember 
you know, exiting a business doesn't always have to be exiting because you can sell the company and stay with the company afterwards. You can also build the business up so high that you can place someone into the business for them to run it on your behalf so you can step away. So it's really up to the entrepreneur. What are you looking for in the exit? Are you looking not to get the phone calls in the middle of the night because there's an issue? Well, hire somebody to do that for you, right? So there's so much blood, sweat, and tears that you give as an entrepreneur. You want to really understand what you're looking for in the exit. Is it economic? Is it personal? Is it professional? And then navigate yourself through the due diligence checklist to achieve the result that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, love that. So many awesome points. I'll be definitely getting one of those due diligence checklists. Um, And I think a big one for entrepreneurs, right, is the shiny object syndrome, right? Where we're looking at a lot of different things. You know, it can be a challenge, especially for the, you know, the visionary creator type of entrepreneurs, because there are different types of entrepreneurs as well, I understand. And and that's why we have different co-founders as an example that have different skills. So what can we do in your experience um, to foster the creativity of that alongside staying focused with our main priorities and not, you know, doing too many things at the same time? I call it terminal creativity. And, you know, it's everything from the shiny object syndrome to actually, you know, one of the blessings of an entrepreneur or a visionary is they can see the world as it can be and then make it so. And there's an awful lot of things in the world that need to change. And what I would encourage entrepreneurs to do is to you know, maybe taper or temper, I should say, temper your terminal creativity because you can quite literally create yourself out of business. Um, In my first venture, um, which was called The College Connection, we created a guidebook for students traveling abroad and it was selling URL passes. And we ended up selling an awful lot of URL passes. But my terminal creativity at the time wanted me to create something called the Ameripass, which was a passport booklet for students coming to America to travel and study. And then we wanted to create the passport to the real world, which was a booklet that you would share with college students of all the things that they don't teach you in college, like about life insurance and health insurance and how stock options vest and you know all the things that you go blindly into the workforce not knowing. So that being said, you know, just just remember that you have to focus on the creative impact tied to the reward you're looking for. If your investment is your creativity, you need to invest where you will see the return from that creativity and not just sprinkle that creativity all day long, all over the place. Um, You know, my father, Fred Thrower, was a television pioneer back in, you know, a long, long time ago, started in, in the radio before TV, went to World War II, fought in Germany. And he had this crazy idea to put a burning log on television during the holidays. And in 1966, he wrote a memo to WPIX TV saying, I have an idea. You have to come see this. It's amazing we can turn the television into a fireplace so that we can give all those people around the world a fireplace that don't have one during the holidays. And it became something called the Yule Log, which aired on WPIX TV New York forever. 
then it went off the air, then it came back on the air after 9-11. And so, you know, ultimately your ideas can change the world, but it's a very, very important thing for you to stick to carrying the ideas that you have to their economic or personal or financial reward that you're looking for in creating the ideas. And that can be tough because some people just love creating things. Those are all the entrepreneurs that have ideas, but because they have the idea and someone said it's a good idea, that's enough for them. So, you know, really ask yourself, what kind of an entrepreneur are you and how you can avoid being terminally creative and create things that provide a return? Yeah, I love that. So many awesome points there. And as we wrap up now, Mitch, um, I guess, what one key piece of advice would you give to all the entrepreneurs watching and listening today? Don't spend your time on anything. Invest your time in the select things that you'll get something back for. Um, that's just really, really, really important. Um, and there's another piece of life which I would encourage you to spend some time on that most people don't. And that is your address book, your contacts list, the people you spend time on the phone with and give yourself a real hard look in the mirror and ask if that's the network and those are the people that you're communicating with and that you have in your network that can get you where you want to go. Or if there are decisions you're making about who you're spending time with that are holding you back and be ruthless, not rude, but ruthless in protecting your greatest asset, which is, which is your time. I mean, everyone's a billionaire by the time they're age 33 you know, you're just a billionaire of minutes, right? Or seconds. I've got, I have to do the math on it, but you're either a billionaire of minutes or seconds by the time you're age 33. So everyone's spent a billion dollars by the time they're 33 in seconds. So, you know, where are you going to spend your next billion dollars? Yeah. Don't invest it. Yeah. I love that. One, one, one key word could be a massive distinction. So we connected through our networks where I learned about your awesome journey from being a 22 times Ironman triathlete to having multiple company exits, including Active, which went public, you know, before Santa Vista for over a billion dollars to now being the CEO, chairman and founder of events.com, which is changing the way, you know, we manage and experience events globally. You're an awesome guy and I'm sure you continue to help events thrive post-COVID and continue to make a massive impact in the world with all of your endeavors. I'm very grateful that we connected. I look forward to working with you. So Mitch, how can people find you and get in contact with you? Yeah, so events.com, it's, it's a great URL, right? We bought it from CBS. Um, it actually is a, uh, a wonderful way to reach me. If anyone is, you know, if you have an event, you can, of course, send me an email to mitch at events.com. And happy to you know, guide you to the right folks on our team to help you with your event, any category that you tend to be considering. Uh, we will have the signups for the beta release of our discovery engines. That's going to be coming up pretty soon. So keep checking back in at events.com. So when that goes live, that's going to be a pretty exciting thing. And uh, you know, we're, we're here, you know, I'm here to help. If there's anything that I can do for you know what you guys are, are working on, just please feel free to reach out and let me know. Awesome stuff. Definitely check out events.com and Mitch, like amazing game-changing platform. So thank you everyone for watching and listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth. 
please like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube as Ethan Cassiotis. So visit my website, ethancassiotis.com. I completely agree with you. Or do I? The only way we know is if you tune in next time. So until next time, remember that our business grows when we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. So remember to design your growth and results.